welcome to the 59th Womanthology Podcast. My name's Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital, magazine, and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I will be chatting with Dr. Sophie Carr, mathematician and founder of Phase Consulting. Sophie is also Vice President for Education and Statistical Literacy at the World Statistical Society, as well as sitting on the councils of the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications and the International Centre of Mathematical Sciences. Last, but by no means least, she sits on the Executive Committee for the new Academy of Mathematical Sciences. Inesh Santos is away, so I'll be talking you through the new content and the written issue again on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Dr. Sophie Carr and she is a mathematician and she is founder of Bayes Consulting. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Well, I'm really excited to hear from you because we have spoken with you a couple of times, I think a couple of times in the written issue. We will link to those in the show notes, but really excited to hear everything that you've been up to because you're a woman on a mission. Everything's growing really fast. So we're really looking forward to hearing about it. So if we could start off by, just for those who maybe missed the written articles, we will link to them. But could you just give us a bit of a quick recap on your educational background and career to date? Who is Sophie Carr? Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a background. I'm the person who didn't like maths at school. It was just the necessary evil to do physics. Physics was by far and away my favourite subject. And I just grew up wanting to work with aeroplanes. Actually, I wanted to fly aeroplanes, but I'm really short-sighted. So that was never going to happen. So I went off to study aeronautical engineering at university and was absolutely convinced all I was ever going to do was actually design gas turbine plates. That that was going to be what I did. And I... I just loved my undergraduate degree, aeronautical engineering. It, it is the thing that made me. I went to Bath University, loved it, and just had the best four years of my life, literally. And then I got my dream job. It's that simple. Actually, no, there's a, there's a step in the middle. I, I did a, an MSc in fluid mechanics at Manchester. And I got my dream job. At 24, I was working as a trials engineer. I was flying around the world. And I literally, I'd made it. Everything, all those dreams you didn't want to tell yourself that you thought you might get, I got it. And whilst I was flying, I got interested in information overload. So we'd be flying and all the information's coming in and I'd start to see that people were struggling. So I did a part-time PhD in something called Bayesian Belief Networks and go back 20 years. And well, in fact, oh gosh, nearly 24 years. That's bad, isn't it? I sound really old. Nobody really heard of Bayesian statistics. It wasn't something people talked about. Took me eight years, started off as Sophie ended up married with a son and pregnant with my daughter when I graduated and did this PhD in Bayesian Belief Networks. But then I got made redundant and it wasn't personal. But there I am, unemployed, so I set up my own company. And it's that simple. This switch from engineering to maths came because, well, somebody just introduced me to Bayesian Belief Networks, Dr. Ken McNaught, and I just went, I didn't think anything would be better than aeroplanes. Turns out they are. 
And what sort of work are you doing at Bayes? I think I've read before about the really interesting different types of organisations that you work with. So we are, uh, I guess, working in three main areas these days. So when we first met, it was me. And then I think the second time we chatted, it was me and a couple of people. And now we're up to sort of 10, 11 people. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't really set out to be a business owner in this way. I just wanted to do fun stuff. So I guess we've got a few things on the go. We've got a little service area now of a product that we sell. So we predict home hazards. So cold, mould, damp in homes at dress level without setting foot in the house. It's really good. And we work with a range of people to help them understand how to get to net zero. Other people use it to understand how that might affect the health of the people uh, in those houses. So we work with councils quite a lot in those types of areas. We still do our consultancy, which is just you need help with maths. And we just have a lot of mathematicians. So I have mathematicians and statisticians, all like coding, got data engineers, data scientists. They're the terms, aren't they, these days? And we work with all sorts of people. And we do things such as digital twinning and we do synthetic data and we do straight out stats. As well as people saying, oh, you know, I always want machine learning. And often that might be the answer. But the point is sometimes just a really good set of statistics can answer. And we also have a little training arm. So we do some training courses for people who might want a bit of stats or particularly for managers to understand what the data scientists are doing. So, yeah, they're the three things we work with. And we work with a whole range of clients. And it's it's a lot of fun. Wow. But one of the nicest parts of doing this and speaking with people is speaking with people over time and knowing people and then coming back and the time that's passed and how everything's grown. And it's just amazing what you've achieved during that time. So hats off to you. Thank you. I think we have this sort of 18 month period, I guess. So in June 2020, there were two of us. And in November 2021, there was 11 of us. Wowzers. (laughs) (laughs) So we had this absolutely huge growth spurt over sort of 15, 16 months. And then I went, stop, everybody stop. And I stopped for two reasons. Firstly, because I needed the team to become a team really get to know each other, really embed the culture, really start to work together because maths is not done in isolation. Everybody needs to get to know each other. And also, I didn't want to create a hamster wheel where we just were doing consultancy and therefore we needed more people to do more consulting and then you have to find more consultancy, which is a perfectly good way to grow business, but not the way I wanted to do it. We were slightly pivoting to try and do these services that we're offering and then take those forward. So we're growing slightly more slowly, but sustainably. And you have other hats as well in other roles in other organisations. Could you tell us a bit about the other things that you're doing? Yeah, so I am lucky enough to get to play in lots of different areas of maths. So I am the Vice President for Education and Statistical Literacy at the Royal Statistical Society, which I thoroughly enjoy, which means I have the immense privilege of chairing the Education and Policy Advisory Group there. I'm working with people who are really interested in how we help statistical literacy, how we teach statistics and and how statistics is important within the education perspective. I also sit on the executive committee for the new Academy of Mathematical Sciences. It's in its proto phase. It's brand new. We've got two years to try and create this academy, which will be a voice for all mathematicians. And all the big major math societies are involved and, and represented in the proto academies we set up. And then I also sit on the council for the Institute of Mathematics and its applications. So I get to see what's going on in the applied maths world, which is where I started. And then I also sit on the Council for the International Centre of Mathematical Sciences. And that's lovely. That's lovely in Edinburgh. And that's the combined Herit Watt Edinburgh University maths area. Love it. I just get to see lots of maths. And so diversity of thought in maths, why is it so important? 
Oh, so people forget, I think, that maths is not just answering questions on a page. Okay. There's a point where maths becomes something that's visual. There's a point where maths is something that you can draw and see, and it's much more of, of art. It really, really is. And there's also a point in maths, particularly when you're working right at the cutting edge, and I'm not that type of mathematician that, you know, is creating new equations and things. But there's this point where you have to take a leap of faith and you have to try and come up with these ideas. Now, if you're only surrounding yourself with people who think like you, you're not going to try and break out of those boxes. So whilst some mathematics is done by yourself, and if you're like, like Andrew Wells, you know, when he was working on Fermi's last theorem, he talks about how he had to sit and just do it. And obviously he's the one who solved it, but he took ideas from lots of different areas. So I do work with mathematicians and statisticians, but also by being an engineer by training and I read lots and I work with mathematicians from all sorts of different areas as well. You see those different applications, you go, oh, I'd not thought of tackling like that. So actually having a network of people who work in not necessarily maths, but just sort of across different things, you can start to see how you might visualise or have, have a go. Yeah, it's, it's crucial. Maths is a real team effort at, the, at its heart. Tell me as well about, so there's this move at the moment. So we're trying to get more people to stay with maths for yeah. longer. How do we feel about that? So it's a bit of a hot potato at the moment, isn't it? Maths. And there was the Rishi uh, Sunak's proposal, maths through to, to 18. And in fact, just put a blog out. I'll send you the link. Please. That's just gone out. Yeah, about the Education and Policy Advisory Group. I just put out a blog in response. So from a personal perspective, do I think everybody should study maths for as long as possible? Absolutely. But also you see all the kickback of everybody going, oh, I hate maths at school and I don't like it. And why should I be forced to do something at sixth form that I just don't want to do? And, and I, you know, I should be doing more creative things. And I get it. I completely understand. There were some subjects at school I didn't like. And the thought of being forced to do them up to 16, up to 18. Now, here's the thing. Maths doesn't have to be and isn't actually just answering a lot of things on a page. It's not just going through equation after equation. Maths teaches you fundamental life skills about reasoning and about breaking things down. And it teaches you those life skills to make sure you can, at a very simple level, check your change, make sure that you've balanced your bank account at the end of the month, help you understand APR in credit cards, through to all the other complex things that you might need if you work in a mathematical-based career. Do I think there is an absolute place for keeping your skills up? Yes. Do I think they should be tailored to what you're working in and where your interests are? Yes. People forget that maths underpins gaming. People forget that maths underpins how you do a lot of the videos and the animations. They forget that people who are working in fashion have to cut out patterns. They forget that business people need to run spreadsheets. All of those are numeracy skills. And, and bluntly, the UK lags behind a lot of other nations in its numeracy how we do that through, for example, something like core maths, which is just a phenomenal qualification that helps you keep up those skills, are tailored to what you're working in, are practical examples. It is not just answering questions for the sake of answering it, I think is an incredibly important part. Now, does that have to align with how do we help break down maths nervousness? How do we show that maths 
is this beautiful, wonderful, vibrant subject that people shouldn't be as scared of, that's a whole different question. Because it makes me sad that people hate it just because they think it's hard and they don't like it because they can't do it. There's nothing wrong with failing and getting an answer wrong. Do that all the time. So there's lots of things to unpack to help people keep working in a new way that means ultimately they will have those extra skills to carry them forward. I think what people need is a safe space with maths. And I think maybe if you're not, yeah, if, you, if you've not had that maybe at school or whatever, and you've not felt that, then that's perhaps where that fear comes from. Whereas actually, if you've got a safe space where you can learn, you can make mistakes and you're learning because you're not learning if you're not making the mistakes. Yeah, so I think there's certainly that aspect to it because we have this thing where people expect to get the right answer. And if it's not right, it's wrong, then you should feel wrong. No, no, no. It's you and I know in working careers, you get things wrong quite a lot. And actually people only show when they've got it right and they've done well. I think the other aspect to that safe space is the fundamental issue of we should want to be better at numeracy and maths and statistics and I'm separating those out because there's a fundamental difference between maths numeracy and statistics and we need to be able to do all three okay so we need people to be able to do maths we need everybody to be numerate and an understanding of statistics and data so a great example is this so inflation has been a hot topic recently well, inflation is a statistic. It's not presented as one and people might not realise that it is one, but it affects your daily life. And understanding statistics is really important from that perspective. So when we talk about, is it okay to be bad at maths? I think as a society, we need to work on that. And people saying, well, I don't have to do English until 18. Actually, when we're writing in any subject, yes, you are working on your English skill. So why not work on your math skills up until the same age as well? But it's how we do it. And, and the blog, so we'll give you the link, actually talks about the importance of data and making sure that people are data literate and why data literacy has to be part of this maths to 18. And one of my real worries when we talk about looking forward is if we think about the maths that's actually impacting society and you hear the buzzwords of machine learning and AI and all these technologies. Fundamentally, we need every part of society to engage in those conversations. We need society to engage in things such as, what about the ethics of driverless cars? What about machine learning when we put a biased data set? How do we assess the results that are coming out of these automated algorithms? And is everybody included? Now, to make sure that every part of society is involved and all their voices are heard requires mathematicians, statisticians, data engineers, data scientists to go out and find a way to communicate with everybody and show the importance of why they communicate. We also need to make sure that everybody has enough numeracy and maths to be able to talk to us. And I don't mean in, I've got a p-value or I can understand this equation. I mean, if that result is biased, what does it mean for my life? If we're talking about driverless cars and ethics and we're talking about what decision the car should make, what does that mean for my life? If I've got an algorithm that can only pick up white hands, why is that? Why is that wrong? And that's what I talk about when I mean, how do we make sure people are numerate? How do we help them with the maths so that this big society we're trying to create leaves no one behind? Because that's what maths does. It impacts our lives every single day. So in terms of engaging with the work that you're doing, so 
through bays but also outside that how can people keep up with what you're doing oh well that's quite simple so i'm on linkedin and i'm on twitter and the company is also on those as well we can send you all the links to pop in i'm sophie bays at twitter and i talk about maths and stats and the fun stuff and how i get to go out and do master classes with the Royal Institution and how I'm seeing what the IMA does. So yeah, that's how the best way to keep up with me is on LinkedIn. And I guess I'm on Twitter, but I'm not that active. Oh, that's absolutely fine. And Sophie, what is coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? It can be in work, it can be out of work, it can be whatever you like. So I'm really excited about outside of work at the moment because the Lidos have opened and the summer open water swim season is back up. And that's just my really happy time of year when I'm out in the water swimming. I swim through the winter in the cold, but when you can swim for longer outside, that's quite exciting. And from a work perspective, I can honestly say at the moment, we are having so much fun developing these services around sort of the home hazard predictions. But also because we've spent about 18 months really coming together as a team, it's just really nice to go to work at the moment and see everybody and just watch as these little fledgling things that we've developed from nothing start to fly and start to actually get traction. And then on the maths front, I guess it's the Academy for Mathematical Sciences, watching that start to take shape in its proto-form and just seeing what it can become and how it can bring all of the mathematicians together. So that's the three things I'm working on at the moment that bring me a lot of joy. Well, you're just the best person to talk with about maths because I defy anybody not to be enthused and excited <laughs> by maths when we're hearing from you and the things that you're doing. So I think it's amazing. So Sophie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure as always. Can we keep in touch with you and can we keep following what you're doing? Of course, of course you can keep in touch. And thank you for having me. I always enjoy catching up with woman mythology and seeing what you've been up to as well. It's been the greatest pleasure, Dr. Sophie Carr. As Anesh Santos, our associate editor, is away at the moment, I'm bringing you the new stories in the written issue on her behalf. Stories include Dr. Martine Barons, Director of the Applied Statistics and Risk Unit within the Statistics Department at the University of Warwick, discusses her work focusing on evidence-informed decision-making and building decision support tools based on data. She also shares why many heads are better than one when it comes to academic research. Dr. Heather Tewksbury, Chief Executive of the Smith Institute for Industrial Mathematics and System Engineering, shares her work creating a positive and visible impact on society, the economy and the environment using advanced analytical and data science. Robin Goldsmith is a PhD student at the EPSRC Centre for Doctoral Training in Statistics and Operational Research in Partnership with Industry at Lancaster University, where she is currently working on her PhD project, Forecasting and Inventory Optimization in Partnership with Jaguar Land Rover. Robin discusses her passion for education and outreach, shining a light on initiatives such as Florence Nightingale Day, run by the Mathematics and Statistics Department at Lancaster University to raise aspirations around maths and statistics for girls in secondary school. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us in the next episode and written issue where we will collaborate once again with our wonderful friends at Soapbox Science. <laughs>